You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Initially, when God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, right? Everywhere he looked, it was good. He says, that's good, that's good. All after he created the physical universe. His uh, announcement was, it is good, it is good. Everything that he made. But there was one thing that wasn't good. Man was alone, Adam was alone. And he said, that's not good. And so I'm going to make for Adam a helpmate. Relationship is a part of God's design. As Pastor Michael point out in today's message, when God created the universe and everything in it, he called it good, except for one thing, Adam's aloneness. He saw that Adam needed relationship. While that gift brought pleasure to God's heart, it also led to the fall. Instead of obeying God together and bringing him glory, Adam and Eve sinned together compromising their relationship with him and setting mankind on a course towards destruction. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 3 as he continues his message, The Curse of God. would be a change in her relationship to her husband. Let's go ahead and read that. And the Bible tells us there, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, in what sense is the woman's desire to be for her husband? Well, there's various interpretations of this particular announcement. Uh, Let me suggest those uh, to you. The first of which is, uh, someone has suggested that that relates to, that announcement relates to, that the woman's desire would be for her husband. Someone had suggested, more than someone, a lot of someones, a lot of Bible teachers, suggest that this relates to the woman's sexual desire, and that that sexual desire is so strong that she is willing to accept the results of sexual intercourse which leads to conception and the pain of bearing the child. So that is one possible plausible explanation. Then others suggest that this refers to the woman's psychological dependence on man. That is, she is willing to submit to what is often the man's insensitivity and tyrannical rule within the marriage relationship. Okay, or it has also been said 
to mean a woman's desires become subservient to those of her husband's as a result of this judgment. So three explanations of what this means. But the problem with these views is that they don't quite fit with the whole of what we are told concerning the relationship of the man and woman here in the book of Genesis. For example, the headship of the husband in marriage is not something that enters in subsequent to the fall. It's already present in the second chapter, before Adam and Eve even eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Another, in fact, remember, we talked about this, and uh, we, we treated this in pretty great length and detail. Uh, initially, when God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, right? Everywhere he looked, it was good. He says, that's good, that's good. All after he created the physical universe. His uh, announcement was, it is good, it is good. Everything that he made. But there was one thing that wasn't good. Man was alone, Adam was alone. And he said, that's not good. And so I'm going to make for Adam a helpmate. It's recorded for us there in chapter 2 and verse 18. So she was to be a helper for the man. And then the word of God goes on to teach us that the woman was given to the man in chapter 2 and verse 22. So think about this. Adam's sin, in part, was by being led by Eve rather than leading her, which would have been the natural course. That was God's plan for the marriage relationship, this relationship between Adam and Eve. Again, all of these explanations offered agrees in some way. The woman's desire for a husband makes her willing to endure his rule. But is this the result of sin? Remember, that's the question that we're addressing here. Is that the rule of sin or the result of sin? You know, the woman being willing to endure the husband's rule? An aspect of God's judgment upon it? I don't think so. I think just the reverse is true. So think about this. Because of her sin, I think that this fits more perfectly. Because of her sin, she now rebels against God's order and seeks to rule over her husband. She therefore disputes the headship of her husband. Hey, you know what? This is sort of becoming like a mini marriage enrichment seminar, isn't it? Think about it, right? And we find this kind of irritation in many of the marriage relationships that exist today, which is the result of sin. The woman will yield herself to the husband's rule. She disputes the headship of her husband. She rather seeks to rule over him. And I believe that's what was this third aspect of this curse, the result of Eve's sin. So as the result of the fall, man no longer rules easily. He must fight for his headship. Sin has corrupted both the willing submission of the wife and the loving headship of the husband. The rule of love has been replaced by struggle, tyranny, and domination. So that raises the question, what are we to do 
if we find ourselves in that particular situation, if that basically describes our marriage experience, what in the world can we do? Well, there's an answer, praise God. It's found in a transformation of the attitudes and aspirations of both the man and woman through the power of the Spirit indwelling them. And that's what, by the way, these one-day marriage enrichment seminars are all about. We try to put them uh, on the calendar quarterly throughout the year. And, uh, you know, so that we'll start thinking right. Listen, there are so many things that would pervert our understanding, the way that we respond to one another, the amosity that is stirred up within us, think grudges that we hold against one another. It, it even happens among the best of Christians. Listen, I, you know, I've been a senior pastor now for, my gosh, almost 40 years. And uh, prior to me, my being here in New York, I pastored in Alaska. I was involved in ministry in Hawaii. I presided over many marriage relationships and, and ceremonies. And I got to tell you something. It's, it's been sort of like a crapshoot, 50-50. They're saying one out of every two marriages end in divorce today. Well, unfortunately, that's a statistic that also applies within the church today amongst Christians. It happens to the best of Christians. You know, they let things, you know, be stirred up in there. They let things simmer and, you know, they never get around to dealing with it. And, and uh, you know, they lose sight of what is really important in the marriage relationship. They don't treat their wives the way that they're supposed to treat them. And, uh, and, and there's no mutual respect or understanding. They don't apply God's word in the marriage relationship. And before long, the, the marriage just is dissolved. I mean, you wake up one day and you turn over in your bed and you're looking into the face of the person who's lying there next to you and you're thinking, man, who is this stranger? It happens. It happens to the best of us. It happens to the best of Christians. This is why it's so important that we work at our marriage relationships. It, it, it just happens. Unfortunately, it does happen. So what's the answer for all of this? Well, again, it happens through a transformation of the attitudes and aspirations of both the man and woman through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling them. And that's what goes on in these seminars. As the word of God goes forward, the great teacher is the Holy Spirit, speaks to our heart, reasons with us, convinces us of, of these things, puts that desire and burden within us to want to be the right kind of a husband, the right kind of a wife, the right kind of a father, the right kind of a mother, so that wives will be able to submit to their husbands and husbands will be able to love their wives as Christ loved the church as we are both instructed to in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. And yes, in this life, granted, okay, I'm, I'm not going to you know, paint some unrealistic picture for you, because as I mentioned, marriage is hard, folks. It's not easy. I'm not going to stand before you and tell you that it's easy. There's no such thing as you know, boy meets girl, girl meets boy, they fall in love, they get married, and they live happily ever after. That's Hollywood, man. That isn't reality. So in this life, each of these will be done imperfectly, right? Because we're imperfect beings. But they are better accomplished imperfectly than not at all. Isn't that true? All right. So anyway, those are the curses that were placed upon the woman under that heading. There's a second heading, and this has to do with the man's judgment or the curses that were pronounced upon the man who was Adam because of his disobedience. Let's go back to our text, 
Let's read verses 17 through 19 to refresh your memories once again. Verse 17. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Okay, so here are the curses. And by the way, there are three of them as well. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, and dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Okay, so let's break these down for you. As I mentioned, there are three parts or three effects of Adam's disobedience. The first of which is, notice, God pronounces that the ground that they till will be cursed. There in verse 17. Now, before the fall, before Adam's disobedience, before the ground abundantly produced every good thing. Could you imagine that? It was like skipping down a country road just picking apples and you know, fruit off of the tree, and, and uh, it was all there for the taking. Could you imagine that? We cannot imagine that because we've never seen anything uh, equal to that. But by the way, that's the way it's going to be when Christ comes back and he establishes the new heaven and the new earth and once again plants uh, those trees uh, alongside of the, the, the river right, that comes forth out of the new city of Jerusalem, on both sides of that river, there will be these trees planted by God that will yield its fruit. And that will be food for the the nations in in that day, in Christ's millennial kingdom. Oh boy, we look forward to that, that day, don't we? And so prior to the fall of man, before the ground abundantly produced every good thing, but now it will still bear fruit, but alongside of that fruit, it will also produce thorns and thistles. The idea here is that producing food would now be a chore. Basically, that's what the curse involved. And I think that everyone's aware of uh, how that agricultural farming is a really tough business. I mean, you know, it really takes a commitment, a lot of hours, a lot of sweat. So anyway, that's the first part of this curse. And then secondly, notice he goes on here in verse 19, that they would live by the sweat of his brow. So let's go back to before the fall. Before Adam's sin, work was a pleasure. Now, I know that none of you can relate to that one, right? Think about the demands that your employer makes upon you you know, putting more than your share of time in at your places of employment and not getting paid, compensated for the work that you do. But before the fall, work was a pleasure. But now, although work is still good, because the reason why it's good is because it pays the bills, puts food on the table, clothes on your back, pays for the facility that we meet on on Sunday mornings, right, so that we can have church. But nevertheless, although it is good, it would be accompanied by pain and weariness. So that was the second curse pronounced upon Adam. But there was a third part, as I have already mentioned, and that was death. Notice in verse 19, he says there, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, 
and to dust you shall return. So the third part of this curse has to do with death. And we're not talking about a release, but rather a disaster. It's the dissolution of the total man. So the idea here is that life will be filled with sorrow. And in many respects, it grows continually worse. Now, at this point, some of you may be thinking, man, you know, Mike, I didn't come here to get bummed out. And uh, what a bummer, man. Come on. That's not very optimistic, Pastor Mike. Well, let me say this, if any of you might be thinking along those lines. My optimism is in Christ, who provides me with strength to bear up under my difficulties. That was the result of the sin of the first man and woman, who occasionally alters and changes my obstacles. Praise the Lord. We have a hope that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. There is a rhyme and a reason for everything that's going on in my life. My life isn't no longer a crapshoot, you know. If, is it going to work out? Isn't it going to work out? God has taken control of our lives. Haven't we given him our lives? He has taken control of it. You can be sure of that. And there are times when he alters the circumstances in my life, changes those obstacles that I have to face daily. You see, if you're a child of God, you have that hope. If you don't, those things that go on in your lives, those things can wipe you out. There's no rhyme or reason to the things that are good. But if you are a child of God, if you've invited Christ to be your Lord and Savior, hey, you know what? You have a bright future ahead of you. And you do have a great hope. Listen, as sin has increased in our world, so has man's trouble and calamity. Pain has entered in sickness, misery, grief, loss, fear, disaster. Should I go on? I mean, the the list goes on and on. But praise the Lord, here's the good news. All is not lost. God's mercy endures from generation to generation. And as we are told in the scriptures, they are new every morning. Oh, I'm so glad they're new every morning. You know, you're wrestling with your pillar at night. You're tossing and turning in your bed. You're expecting in the morning the worst, and you wake up only to find God's mercies are new every morning. Isn't that true? And all of the grief and all of the things that you put yourself through, you know, your mind's racing and tossing and turning, you know, beating up on the pillow, and always imagine it never came to, to be at all. The, the, you know, you absolutely thought the worst was going to happen in the morning, only to wake and find God's mercies were there to meet you. For example, let's go back to Adam and Eve. Eve and all who followed her are subject to pain and childbearing, but sorrow is afterward forgotten for the joy that a child is born into the world. Remember in John's Gospel in chapter 16, Jesus said a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Folks, that's mercy. You see that? Again, a woman enters into a conflict with her husband. But this is not with one who is a stranger or her enemy, but one who loves her and to whom submission is often sweet. Let's turn to the man. As for the man, though the ground is cursed, 
The land, we are told in the book of Psalms in chapter 1 and verse 3, yields its fruit in due season. Although God curses the ground, he sends rain to water it, making it to flourish. Man sweats, but he revives, dies, but in Christ rises to everlasting life. Oh, our merciful God. But listen, I'm going to close with this. The greatest mercy of God is seen not in his mitigation of our punishment. Remember, going back to the opening statement, there are consequences to our sin. He tempers that judgment in his mitigation, you know, concerning our sin. He doesn't just give us what we deserve, praise the Lord, but often he will still have to suffer. If for no other reason than teach us a lesson to keep us from that same sin going forward, in the future when it presents another opportunity for us, you see. So the greatest mercy of God is seen not in his mitigation of our punishment, but rather in taking the full punishment of our sin upon himself at Calvary. You see, he took that curse that we were under, and God the Father placed it upon his son, Jesus Christ. You know, let me close with this. This is a statement I found in a a commentary that I'd like to pass along with you. And I will close with this this writing of this this fellow. He raises this question. Did sin bring pain in childbirth? Listen, no pain is equal to that of Jesus who travailed in pain in order that he might bring forth many children into glory. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 is the cross-reference for that. He raises this another question. Did sin bring conflict? Well, he goes on, Jesus endured even greater conflict of sinners against himself for our salvation. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse 3. He then raises this question. Did thorns come in with sin? Well, Jesus was crowned with thorns. John's gospel, chapter 19 and verse 2. He raises this question. Did sin bring forth sweat? Well, he answers it by saying, He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke's Gospel in chapter 22 and verse 44. Do we know sorrow? He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Isaiah 53 and verse 3. Did sin bring forth death? Hey, listen, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Jesus tasted death for everyone. In short, Jesus took our curse. As Paul says, In his writings to the church at Galatia, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Listen, gang, he became a curse so that we might be set free to live to God through him. In my Father's house There's a place for me in my Father's house Where I long to be, oh my When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, 
We see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.